Worship should be excellent. It's not entertainment. Hopefully you don't come here to be entertained. The goal isn't to give the people a good feeling, though that may happen, but to give glory and honor to God. You know, I, the song where it says, raise your hands, lift your holy hands. That's kind of like Eric and those guys are saying, lift your holy hands. They're telling you to do so. There's nothing wrong with you lifting your hands so we can reach out and touch you. You're just saying, I surrender. I want you. God doesn't want your work if he doesn't have your worship. Worship music has been at the center of controversy in the church for at least a few decades. Whether you go into a service that resembles a rock concert or one that feels like you've stepped back in time a hundred years, the style and sound are not what really matters. If you don't think you can worship through one or the other, the actual music may have become an idol and your heart is in the wrong place. As Pastor Mark reminds us in today's message, worship, whether through a chorus written last week or a hymn penned a century or two ago, should be focused on bringing God glory and opening your heart up to His Spirit. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of Nehemiah chapter 12 for today's edition of Come Alive. We see here again this dedication ceremony takes place. The Levites had a lot of responsibilities in the life and worship of Israel, but one of the most important jobs that they had was to lead the people in songs of worship and praise to God. Mostly they didn't just sing without musical instruments because we see that specifically there are some that are mentioned. The dedication of the wall was not a time to praise Nehemiah. Though he did great things, the only reason he could do those great things was because, well, because God had worked through him. But they came to praise the Lord. They came to praise God. Nehemiah organized two choirs to walk in opposite directions on top of the wall until they converged at the temple. And it tells us that they sang praises with cymbals and stringed instruments and harps. So, you know, you you see some of those churches who are like, man, you know, I had a guy ask me like, hey, man, do you guys guys have a drummer at your church? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, oh. Those are like, that's like a sin to have drums. And What about electric guitars? I'm like, yeah. Oh, man, that's not the right kind of worship. And it was like, well, didn't they have that in the Bible? Well, they didn't have electric guitars. Well, bonehead, they didn't have electricity. I mean, if you really think about it, and he just kind of stood back and looked at me like, oh, oh, yeah. I was like, come on. I bet if they had electricity, David would have had the most amazing rock band ever. I mean, you go online and you see some of these guys like the two cellos and electric pianos and all this stuff. So there's a great worship that was going on there. And there are at least 22 different musical instruments. Now, that's huge. That's a worship band that's to contend with. 22 different musical instruments are mentioned in the Bible, including the harp, the lyre, ancient guitar, horns, trumpets, flutes, tambourines, drums, cymbals, and bells. And so the Levites were specially appointed to use these instruments to lead the people in worshiping God through singing. That's, that's one way we worship God, is through singing. 
There were also specially appointed singers. The singers in Nehemiah's day had a close-knit bond, both in family and living arrangement. So, I mean, just imagine the worship band all living in one neighborhood. You know, when we lived in Albuquerque, we always laughed because our worship band all lived in one neighborhood, a brand new subdivision that was real close to the church. And these guys were always getting together at each other's houses, and they were always having these just you know, mock-up jam sessions. And sometimes you'd go over to someone's house and you'd be having dinner and they're like, hey, you don't mind if so-and-so comes over? No, go ahead, bring them over. And then all of a sudden, you know, they got a guitar and then somebody, and one time at 4th of July, we were all sitting, there was about 50 people. And I mean, everybody had something that made it sound. From washboards to bottles, blowing air in a bottle, guitars, basses, drums, metal tables. I mean, everything, bricks. Kids were playing the drumsticks on bricks. And it was the most amazing. I mean, I was a brand new Christian. And I remember sitting back and watching all these people sing and play. And I thought to myself, man, they really dig this. They're having a great time singing to God. It's, and that's when it made sense that it wasn't about religion. It was about a relationship. You think about a young man and a young woman. They love each other. They write love notes back and forth. And if they're musical, they'll sing to each other. My daughter and my son, when they were younger, my son especially, but my daughter still does, she'll come in and she'll just start singing to me sometimes. And I'm just so like, oh, man. And it's, I love you. And it makes no sense other than the point that says, I love you, Dad. That's all I hear. I love you, Dad. And I know that she cares enough. It's kind of like sometimes watching Elf in real life, you know, and you see that, I love you, I love you, I love you. See, the job of the singers was to lead the people in the worship of God. They had to be good singers, but more importantly... They had to be the people of worship themselves. They had to be people of worship themselves. You guys are the church choir, believe it or not. Eric and those guys are just the guys who play the instruments. They just lead you in worship. Just like a choir director does their their little hands with that little baton. That's their job is to lead you, but you are the choir. There's a huge difference between being a great singer and being a great leader of songs of worship to God. See, worship should be excellent. It's not entertainment. Hopefully you don't come here to be entertained. The goal isn't to give the people a good feeling, though that may happen, but to give glory and honor to God. You know, I, the song where it says, raise your hands, lift your holy hands. That's kind of like Eric and those guys are saying, lift your holy hands. They're telling you to do so. There's nothing wrong with you lifting your hands so we can reach out and touch you. You're just saying, I surrender. I want you. God doesn't want your work if he doesn't have your worship. I'll say that again. God does not want your work if he doesn't have your worship. To worship God is to rejoice in and extol his great attributes and his actions. To always rejoice in his great attributes and actions. See, it's a reverence to God above all else. True worship is not outward. It is inward. It is something that takes place inside of us. It engages the mind and the heart, the will, and even the emotions. Well, whether you're setting up chairs or preaching a sermon, it ought to flow out of a heart of worship. Look at verse 30. Verse 30 tells us something pretty interesting here. And it says, Then the priests and the Levites purified themselves and purified the people, the gates, and the wall. And so I brought the leaders, is what he says. I brought the leaders. So what happens next? The priests and the Levites purified themselves. Say, they had to do this first. The leaders had to be purified first. They couldn't effectively lead the people in worship of God unless they walked in purity before the Lord. Next, the people were purified, just the regular, the commoners. They brought cleansing to the people the way the Bible said to. 
knowing that only purified people could really worship and praise God. So they would wash themselves in these days. These people would wash themselves. They'd literally take a bath. They'd abstain from sex. They'd wash their clothes. And then they would most likely present themselves before the priest. And then they would be sprinkled with water. Some might silently object here. They may say, I know a person who goes to church and seems to be lost in beautiful praise and worship to God. I also know their life's rather impure outside the church walls. Well, listen, that's not up to me to judge. That's between God and that person. But it sure seems like you might say that they're worshiping God. But personally, I'll tell you this, if that is truly the case, then they are impure. See, something's wrong there. Probably their worship's not a true worship of God in spirit and in truth, but instead kind of a soulish experience, something that happens emotionally. Some people just dig it. I've had people come and say, man, I'm not a Christian. I just like the way you guys sing, and it's cool to watch everybody sing. And they just show up for the worship, and then they leave. I've seen that happen before. And so it's just an experience for them like it just brings them emotionally to a place that they want to go to. It makes them feel happy. Hopefully you don't feel happy. Feelings are very tricky. See, one of the great works of the Word of God is to divide between that which is truly spiritual and merely just a feeling or soulish. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents, the intents of the heart. What is your intentions? What's your heart's intentions? See, without purity, you and I can't worship God in spirit and truth, as Jesus had commanded us to do in John 4.24. Psalm 24, verse 3 says, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? And then it gives us an answer of who may. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And it means it in the sense of bringing praise to God. Are you praising God with a pure heart and pure hands? You know, we can be made pure and clean before God today, right now, by doing what the Bible says to do not following in an Old Testament ceremony, but rather by receiving the word of the New Testament where it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's how we do it as New Testament believers. We confess our sins. That's how you become pure before the Lord, before you worship the Lord, before you read God's word. If you Sometimes people say, man, I'm just not getting a lot out of God's word. And, and I'll ask, because I don't need to know, and I'll say that, I don't need to know, but let me ask you this question. Is there some sin uh, that you're in? in, in? Are, are you in some sort of sin? Is, is there something you're not letting go of? And nine times out of ten people will say, yeah, yeah, there is. Whether it be anger or whatever it may be, yes, I'm, I'm, there's a sin. Well, let go of it. Oh, yeah, but I enjoy it. Well, then, you know, you're not going to get anything out of your Bible reading. Oh, but I want to get something out of my Bible reading. Then let go of your sin. Oh, I just can't. It's just, it's too, it's going to be too hard. And at that point, the reason sin is, and sin is fun. Let me just say that. It's fun. But the reason people can't let go of it is, is because, well, and the reason it's such a problem, and and the reason God doesn't usually speak to someone who's in, in, in willing sin is because you make yourself your own God at that point. You're indulging yourself. You're worshiping you more than you're worshiping God. So get rid of it. 
Because if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. All you got to do is confess them. Lord, here's my sin. I don't want this anymore. Remove it from me. I need your help to remove this from me and to walk in the right path. First John 1.19 tells us that. Next on the purification list is, well, the gates and the wall. Their surroundings were purified. I remember early on as a Christian, I had a friend. He was moving into a house. He bought his first house, and he says, hey, will you come over with me and purify, help me purify my house? And I was like, sure. And so I brought a mop bucket and a bucket and some disinfectant spray and everything I could find and even some shampoo because I was like, well, this will make it smell good. And we walk into the house, and there's new carpet and new paint, and it smells awesome. And I'm like, what do we got to do? And he goes, we're going to purify my house. And these other Christians came, and I was like, um, okay. So I just, I shut up and watched and everybody just, we held hands and we prayed for 20, 30 minutes for the house to be used for God's purposes and not his own, that he would realize that that house is not his, that it was a blessing for the Lord and that the Lord would use it. And it was the craziest thing. A few weeks later, 50, 60 people showed up at that house with very little furniture for Bible studies all the time. He'd opened it up to school of ministry students if they needed a place to live. Super cheap rent, if they could pay super cheap rent. If they couldn't, then it was free. The only thing you had to supply was your own food. And if you couldn't do that, he would get that for you. And he still does that to this day. And this man has been blessed multiple times. I've never seen anyone blessed because he has given his house to the Lord. He uses it for God's purposes. So they purify the walls. And so purified surroundings help us, kind of spiritually, if we look at it this way, to walk in purity consistently. The homes and the offices that we could use a, a good purification and cleansing. You know, well, what's in your house that doesn't need to be there? What's in your house that doesn't exalt God and glorify Him? Look at verse 31 with me. Verse 31 talks about here, it says, And so I brought the leaders of, of Judah up on the wall and appointed um, two large Thanksgiving choirs. One went to the right hand of the wall. The other went towards the refuse gate. After them went Hoshiah and half of the leaders of Judah and Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam. And he names all these guys. And then it says in verse 35, and some of the priests, the sons with trumpets, Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Mattaniah, and the son of Micaiah and the son of Zachor and the son of Asaph and his brethren. And it keeps going on and naming people. And it talks about those guys with the musical instruments in verse 36 of David, the man of God, Ezra the scribe, went before them by the fountain gate in front of them. They went up to the stairs of the city of David on the stairway of the wall beyond the house of David as far as the water gate eastward. And the other Thanksgiving choir went the opposite way. And I was behind them with half of the people on the wall going past the tower of the ovens as far as the broad wall and above the gate of Ephraim, above the old gate, above the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, the tower of the hundred as far as the sheep gate, and they stopped by the gate of the prison. So the two Thanksgiving choirs stood in the house of God likewise, and I in the hall of the rulers with me, and the priests, and he names all the priests, and he says they had trumpets. And then in verse 42 it says, The singers sang loudly, they sang loudly. They sang. 
There's a lot of people. As you read this account of this dedication service, you kind of get the distinct impression that these people were enjoying themselves. I kind of picture a World Series parade, right? They're having fun. There's a celebration going on. It's an exciting time. Note the emphasis on joy in verse 43. It's mentioned four times in that verse. And again, in verse 44, it says, the joy of Jerusalem was heard from afar. It wasn't their song that was heard. It was their joy. It was their joy. Outsiders heard their joy. People who knew nothing of the reasoning they were doing this other than they loved their God had heard their joy. You know, if you've ever been, we live close to a stadium, and where we live on Friday night football games, you can, I can always tell you when someone scored a touchdown. You want to know why? Because you hear the people in the band go crazy. There is joy. You hear the joy. You hear the excitement. You know, you think about that. You ask some kids, show me what excitement looks like, and they can run around and get all crazy. But then you say, well, show me what it sounds like. Because you hear the excitement. You, you really don't see it, but you hear it. And you know when that happens, something good has happened inside. Probably someone from the home team had hit a home run or scored a touchdown. In the same way people should be able to walk by the church or drive by the church or in this neighborhood over here and think, man, something good is going on in that school. I wonder what's going on in there. In fact, God has hit a grand slam home run for you and I through Jesus Christ. And we need to get so caught up with what God has done that his great joy radiates from this place. See, a servant needs a pure heart, a worshipful heart, and a joyful heart. And finally, a servant needs a giving heart. If you look at verse 44 with me, we'll move down there. And it says, And at the same time, some were appointed over the rooms of the storehouses for the offerings of the first fruits of the tithes to gather into them from the fields of the cities of the portions specified by the law for the priests and the Levites. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. Both the singers and the gatekeepers kept charge of their God and charge of their purification according to the command of David and Solomon, his son. For in the days of David and Asaph the, of old were the chiefs of the singers and the songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah, all Israel gave the portions for their singers and their gatekeepers and a portion for each day. They also consecrated holy things for the Levites and the Levites consecrated them for the children of Aaron. So here we see these people gave joyfully. They gave joyfully so that God's work could go forward. They saw the importance of what worship is at the temple, and they were willing to give necessary offerings to support the many priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers that served there. The people did it because they rejoiced over the priests and the Levites. Uh, you know, you, you know, the question is, and this is a, a question that I always ask my children, are, are you attracted to someone? Do you like someone who's a stingy, tight-fisted person? And we all say no. We don't like that person. We're all attracted to warm, generous people who freely share what's theirs with others. I have a friend who every time he's eating something, and he'll take a big bite out of it, and he'll walk up to you, and he'll be like, hey, man, want some? And he's serious. He wants you to literally take a bite. He's always sharing everything that he has. If he's got a plate of food and you show up to his house at dinner time, he'll stop eating. He'll be like, hey, man, you want some? And it might be the last, but he'll cut it all in half, and he just wants to make sure that you're well taken care of. As I mentioned last week, one of the most reliable gauges of your heart before God is your checkbook. If God's going to use you to minister to others, you need to have a generous heart. You'll see the importance of supporting those who are called to serve God in the mission field. 
You know, there, there's that saying, show me someone's checkbook and I'll show you how they worship God. So you'll see the importance of supporting the local church. Just before Peter exhorts us to use our spiritual gifts in serving one another, he says, be hospitable to one another without complaint. So maybe sometimes with money, if you have extra money, you can, you can help someone. You can be generous in, their, in supporting them. Or maybe you can be just generous with your time or your skills or your gifts or your talent. Here's the conclusion, if you think about this, and some of you may know who this guy is. His name's William Carey. He's a pioneer missionary. He was a cobbler before he left for the mission field. And what he would do, he would always keep a map of India before him in his little shop, and he would stop every often, every so often, and he would study this map. And he would look at it because he longed to go there. He wanted to preach the gospel there. So he'd done a lot of preaching and teaching on the side with the result that his traded began to dwindle. And one day a friend had admonished him for neglecting his business. And he said, neglecting my business, Carrie said, my business is to extend the kingdom of God. I only cobble shoes so I can pay expenses. You know, and, and I remember when I first heard that about that guy, I thought, you know what, that's what I want to do. I, I only want to work so I can pay my expenses and take care of my family so we can go on mission trips and do different things. And that should be the mindset of every Christian. And it's not my mindset all by myself. It's because there's others who before me have taught me this. See, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me just say this. You're in the ministry now. You're in the ministry. But are you ministry-oriented? Is that your mindset? Are you serving? Are you doing something? Because you're in the ministry. It, it, it could be just like you're an employee, and you sit around and you do nothing, and you wonder the day you get caught doing nothing when they bring you into the office and they say, hey, you know what, we've got to let you go. And, and deep in your heart, you know why they're letting you go, because you've done nothing. You sat around and you've done nothing. And sometimes there are people in the church that do that. Are there people in your schedule on a regular basis? Are you hanging out with people? When you gather with God's people, are you thinking about others and how you can show the love of Christ to them? See, if you've been coming here for more than three or four weeks or months or whatever, and you're thinking this is an unfriendly church, you know, I always tell people this because I had this happen one time. We had a bunch of visitors one time, and this lady says, this is an unfriendly church. And everybody was kind of afraid to talk to the other person. It was, it was a second service in the other building when we had two services and a lot of new people came to one of the services and this lady came to me and she said, this is an unfriendly church. And I almost said, you might be part of the problem. Because think about it, what if she would have went up and started talking to somebody? To have friends, you got to be a friend. We tell our kids that all the time. If you keep close to God, keep close to men and bring God and men together. Remember, you're a priesthood, a royal priesthood is what the Bible says that you are, that we are. And all the word priest means is bridge builder. You're to build the gap between man and God to bring those two together. That's ministry. You're kind of standing in the gap is the Christianese term. Pray for those people to get together. Pray that God and man get together, your friends that don't know Jesus, that they come together. If you pray for them, you'll see some amazing stuff happen. Thanks for tuning in again today to Come Alive. Pastor Mark has been sharing insights and promises found in the book of Nehemiah, reminding you again of God's faithfulness and blessings that are still available to you today. We hope you'll continue to read through Nehemiah and see for yourself how God can touch your life. 
Is what you heard today about God new to you? Or are you questioning what being a follower of Jesus is all about? If so, today's a great day to begin a relationship that will bless your life and save you from your sins. We'd love to tell you more, so please get in contact with us. Here's Tracy to tell you how. Are you ready to meet Jesus and have your sins forgiven? We would be honored to be the ones to tell you about God's Son, who came to earth to pay the price for you and every person on earth. That price is death, but because Jesus died, you have the chance to live. Give us a call so we can tell you more. Our number is 281-391-5503. Thanks, Tracy. We're so excited to know that you're joining our family of faith. We'd love to meet you in person, too. So if you're in the Houston area, come visit us at Calvary Chapel Katy. We'll be able to tell you more and get you directions when you call us. That number again is 281-391-5503. We're so glad you joined us today, and we hope you'll tune in again to Come Alive.